teaching that person so much only to have them call you names behind your back and Mm. treat you like you are somehow full of yourself when you opened your soul and gave them everything. Mm. Want something to turn you bitter in a hurry against all the other crabs? That would be it. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson and I am so glad you're able to join us. He is a podcast producer, he is a consultant, he is a coach, and he is the host of the podcast, Podcast Bay, and the founder of the Podcast Bay community. Amongst many other things, one of them being one of the biggest Bruins fans that I've ever known. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Scott Doucette. Scott is his name, and this is his revelation. Welcome to Revelation, Scott. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Really stoked to be here. Very different show than what I'm used to. I'm excited. Good, good. And before I even begin the line of questioning, so I do have to say that uh, in this game, I have run into very few people who I've connected with right off the bat. And this gentleman on the other end of this mic is one of them. And it's been an honor to actually go through this podcast journey with him. Seeing his growth and he's seen mine and it's been a really good journey. So on air, I want to say thank you for that. Oh man, thank you. Thank you because you have been, we, we've been growing basically side by side parallel, but doing different things and taking on different parts of this industry. So it's, it's really been interesting to have a sounding board who's, you know, at the same level I am whenever I'm there and basically feeding off of each other's successes and growth and mistakes and everything has been very, very mutually beneficial and a, a really good time to boot. So, Good, good, good. And the feeling is 100% mutual. So I mentioned that you are probably Canadian and yeah. you currently are living in the province. Ha ha ha. See, I know my Canadian stuff <laughs> <laughs> of New Brunswick. Yes. However, you also have roots that go all the way to the other side of Canada? Yeah, actually I was I was born in British Columbia. Oh, okay. A British Columbian. Okay, well, how long did you spend your time in uh, British Columbia before you moved east? I think we moved when I was like 2 years old, one and a half to my mom came back to be closer to family and things like that. So, I was just a just a wee one. Mm, okay. All right. And and what do you remember about being in uh, British Columbia, if anything at all? Nothing save for a feeling. When people Mm. talk about it, I have a very fond feeling that arises, but I don't have any actual tangible memories. Okay. Well, well, that's interesting. Uh, 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 Because for me, uh, I mean, I was born in New Orleans and moved to Houston. And I sort of feel similar. You know, I've, I've revisited New Orleans many times in my life. But the feeling that I get in New Orleans versus when I'm in Houston is similar to how you describe you being in British Columbia. It just is it's different. You know, it's like, okay, I know this is somewhat home for me, but it's not quite home. Yeah. You know, and Houston is home. You know, you know, just, just like you being in New Brunswick is home to you. And that familiarity of home is really grounding. And 
when you have roots in other areas, it is, it's interesting how you look at being in different areas well, and, and, and just suppose that to where you grew up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's funny you mentioned that because like for me, I've, I've yet to find home. New Brunswick isn't quite home. BC isn't quite home. I've, I've moved around a lot to like Edmonton, Alberta and we'll, we'll get there for sure. But I, I have jumped around a lot. I was a military brat, you know, but we weren't posted all over the place. When I came into the picture, my stepdad stayed put, you know, mm-hmm. everything in his power to keep me in one place so that I'd have the structure that I needed. And it was just very, um, interesting to go to different places and, and still not being able to find home. Uh, there's a Metallica song called wherever I may roam. <laughs> yes, there is. And basically the, the hook in that song is where I lay my head is home. And that is what I've adopted. You know, I basically, I could probably carve a home out anywhere. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the older I've gotten, the more I've adapted that philosophy too. So I, I, I totally am at home with that idea an ideal for sure. Yeah. I feel like home is the people around you more so than the place that you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I feel that, that energy more and more as I go along in life, you know, you, you know, home is where you feel most comfortable with the people that surround you, not necessarily the place and where you do your growing. Oh, like our conversation, you know, between the, the podcast Bay administration team, when myself, yourself and the two others talk, I feel like I can just walk into that room, kick my feet up on the coffee table, turn the TV on and start chatting. You know, <laughs> that to me, how home that, co- that just that chat room feels. And so it really does depend on, on the characters that you surround yourself with. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely does. So you mentioned the title stepfather. So do you know your natural born father or have you have a relationship with him? I, I, I know him. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely don't have the depth of relationship. I'm sure he would like, um, he wasn't around very much. I very much grew up with my, my stepfather being my father figure and my mom. And interesting fact about me, man, <laughs> my mother was in the militia. My stepfather served well over 27 years in the military. My biological father was a military police officer and his second wife was in the army as well, like in the military. So I am surrounded by soldiers. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And mom, mom basically went into the education field when she realized she Mm. couldn't take orders. So basically education and structure and discipline and all of that were, the mainstays in my household, strength and kindness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that explains a little about you on that one. Okay. I'll, I'll revisit a couple of those themes a little later. Yeah. So you move out to New Brunswick and you said you sort of stay put there. Yep. So how was life on the Eastern side of Canada? Growing up. Yeah. I grew up in a military town and everyone made the same wage on my street. Basically, it was like, if you, anyone who's lived inside a military base would understand this. And those of you who haven't, if you're a private, you live in a certain area in a certain Mm -hmm. kind of housing. If you're a corporal, master corporal, sergeant, and then some, and then some, like you keep getting nicer places depending on your rank. So for the most part growing up, my, uh, my old man was a, a master corporal. So we lived in this, this house 
on this street where everyone was the same. Our fathers all dressed the same, acted the same, were the same, and we were expected to be the same way. And that, for whatever reason, was difficult for me, man. (laughs) Very difficult for me. So I got in a lot of trouble, but to say like, I had the greatest support system ever, made a lot of friends because I hung out with the loser kids. I'm going to call them that, the, you know, the least popular kids because they were always the realest kids. They were hmm. always themselves. They never put on a persona. But after school stopped, you know, I'd go play road hockey with the jocks or I'd go hang out at the library with the artsy kids or just because one of the benefits of living in such a small military town was you did know everybody. And even though there was this, this need for everyone to express themselves, um, there was also just this, this camaraderie around that everyone did kind of know each other. They were aware of each other, didn't always like each other. But I remember being able to just go play hockey with kids and some of them would be like four or five, six years old, just picking up their first hockey stick. And then some of them would be like 18, 19 and they'd played hockey in town in leagues and stuff. And we would all just get together and have a big old pickup game or we'd play touch football down the street or tackle football. If we really had some aggression that day or whatever. Right. So, Hmm. but then I'd go to school and I'd sit with all those kids who had no friends. (laughs) Okay. So you were a rebel almost from jump. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. My old man and I bumped heads a lot because of that. Yeah. It, it, mm. So yeah, yeah. Speak about speak about that dynamic about your step uh, between your stepfather and you, because it, seemingly to me, I'm I'm sensing the vibe of one who's being a strict disciplinarian and the other saying, "Okay, forget this. No, <laughs> yeah, Th- this isn't playing well with me. I, I'm seeing through, and I can't jive with it." Well, he stepped in as the man of the house when I was very young. I think I was like three or four. And I could not take him seriously, man. My mom wore the pants in that family. I'm going to say it flat out. Uh, So like he would try to be the disciplinarian, but I knew my mom could silence him with a look. And if not a look, then a throw of a shoe. Like, (laughs) So like growing up, you know, mom was actually the disciplinarian in that household. We wouldn't even look at her the wrong way. We'd get a whooping, man, like guaranteed. So it was one of those things where, uh, he came in and, and he tried to assert that dominant role, but he realized very quickly that he couldn't. So he became the, the provider of structure and the provider of not necessarily discipline as in punishment, but discipline is in teaching us how, you know, not to go after too much at once to, to rein in our reactions and, and to, you know, just kind of, hold your hold your fist down by your side and you know chin up chest out when it got hard and you know mm-hmm. excuse my language but mm-hmm. that whole thing was just very inspiring to see because my only experience with a man before that like a father figure was a very flaky dude in my childhood i adored his presence because i craved it in my teens, I hated his complete existence because he was the opposite of everything I stood for. And then in Mm. my adulthood, I'm finding there is a massive amount of respect for what that man has done, you know, taking on two kids that weren't even his own and creating basically standing firm as the backbone of a family. You you mentioned two people, 
that I think I have not heard much of. I've heard in in spurts, but not in total detail as to how important they are to you. Uh, talk to me about your mother and your sister. Oh, yes, yes. My mom was an EA or is an EA, I guess. She's uh, been doing this for a while. Like I said, she started off in the militia, realized she couldn't take orders, so the military wasn't her past. She went the education route. and She yeah. spent her life basically taking care of special needs children within the education system. Mm-hmm. Down syndrome, autism, all that. And autism is the one she loves the most to work within and because and, she sees beyond the disability and she sees where those children are actually worlds ahead of us regular folk right you know, they may be socially challenged but spatially they're the most amazing people on earth and so she mm. she was very kind and and had just this spirit of kindness but growing up like i've always said you know my my stepfather was strong to a fault and my mother was kind to a fault and mm. so you know we grew up very middle class but mom's generosity sometimes was the bane of our existence and sometimes Glenn's strength was a source of conflict you know my stepdad is solid guy but rigid as well and that caused issues growing up Mm. so but i mean like mom was very generous give the shirt off her back if she saw you freezing but would freeze in your place (laughs) wow man yeah. yeah. And my sister was very emotionally supportive because one thing I will say about mom is she, she's very emotionally available, but not the easy person, not the easiest person to talk to because she always has opinions of how things should go. Of course. Whereas my sister was more about like harmony and everyone getting along. So she was the peacekeeper in our family very much. And when she moved out, we definitely felt the pinch because she went off to university and we figured out just how much of the glue she was. <laughs> mm. And because she was the person where if I was having an emotional breakdown, I could go talk to her mm. and she would just fix it all before I had to bring it to my folks. Mm. You know, so it was, it was interesting to grow up with and without her at times. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 here's the thing when, and I did not have the privilege nor the pleasure of growing up with a sibling, sister nor brother. But hearing you talk about your sister in such a bright light, and like I said, I've seen it in spurts, how, how much you admire her. It, just seeing that type of support with someone close to your age is a really good thing. And it's even better when you actually have the, the grounding within yourself to appreciate it more than rebel against it. Not saying that, yeah, and not saying that you never had crosswords with your sister, nor she you. I'm sure you both had, but overall, you two seem to have a really good relationship, similar similar to how you are with your mother. You have good, good, strong relationship with the two of you there too. Yeah, you know, yeah. but just yeah, but the, to hear to hear how how much reverence you have for both your mother and your sister that that speaks that speaks volumes to me. Uh, in terms of how you view women, how you think of women. And- oh, man, I've got nothing but respect for good women. Mm-hmm. For women who really, like, it's same thing with good men, right? It's right. just new levels, new devils. If you're not at a certain level, that's where the respect is not for me. And so it doesn't matter your gender. It matters who you are and where you're at in life, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. No question. No question. So, uh, hmm. You mentioned earlier education. Yeah. You've mentioned military. Yeah. And you talked at length about military. But the education part, because that's going to be a running theme a little later as well. 
Uh, talk to me about how much the education realm that your mother learned was infused so hard and so much within you. Uh, sure. Um, I watch what education could do for my family. That's one thing I do want to put out there is that my mother didn't have an education. She gave birth to my sister young and she dropped out of school and, and did that whole thing. But she was always very adamant about going back. And so we struggled. She did the single mother hustle for a while and there were nights she'd go without eating so that we could, you know, and, and I saw that growing up. I knew what was going on and she went back to school and, and start like started taking like career programs that she could with two kids, you know, those, those types of like, uh, job building program or job skill building program. She took a bunch of those and eventually she, you know, went and became a human services counselor. And then she started working within the education field. So I watched incrementally bit mm-hmm. by bit without even registering it really, mm-hmm. but having a good education could do for a family, not just the person who has it. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was always very, very important that I do well in school. Mm-hmm. And funny thing was that like anytime I brought home a bad mark, it wasn't my mom that held it up against me. It was, it was my stepdad. He could not right. the fact that I had below like 90. So he would mark my stuff. And if I brought a, a, a mark to my mom, she'd be like, okay, honey, here you go. She'd sign it. I'd bring it back to school. It didn't matter what the mark was. But mm-hmm. eventually I started craving that that hammer my stepdad would put me under. So I started bringing him my marks and he would sit me down and go, you know the answer to that. Why isn't it right on this page? Mm. Or if I didn't know the answer, he'd be like, what is the answer? And I'd have to look it up, like through my textbooks, look it up and tell him. So if I got six things wrong, I'd have to find the answers to six questions before he let me leave that table. And he would only give that signature if I gave him the correct information after. So, I took my stuff to him religiously after a while because I was like, no, I went wrong here and I need to improve this. You know, otherwise my, my stepdad's not going to be proud of me. You know, so a lot of it was built on the fact that I just, I really wanted the people around me to be happy with my performance and my, my, you know, my marks and who I was becoming as a person. And the issue was I hated school. I was bored to death in school. I used to sleep through English class and. I remember teachers used to wake me up and be like, you have to pay attention. And then I'd like answer the last question they asked completely mm. and fully and then go back to sleep because I wow. was paying attention. I was just bored, you know? So I ended up getting high nineties in school. Like I could have been a doctor, could have been lawyer, could have been anybody, you know, mm-hmm. the after school program was looking for me to play sports for them. Like I literally was that kid who excelled at everything. Cause I found out, how to excel at everything. There's mm. always a way to excel at something and I would strategically find it, right? Right. And so like I had these great marks. I come to find out recently that my stepfather was like a 60 to 70 student and didn't go half the time and took a bunch of BS classes like woodworking and, and automotive and, you know, uh, home ec so he could cook and eat during class. Like he was, he was an absolute goof mm. at school. He didn't take anything seriously. So I was literally letting a goof tell me that my marks weren't good enough, even though I was out achieving him by like 30%, 40% at times, Mm. but I respected where it was coming from, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. But my mom made you still, when she told me that she laughed so hard because she's like, my mom was a great student, 
that's why she didn't really pressure me much. But he was a horrible student, and that's why it bothered him that I wasn't obtaining the marks that he wanted me to. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right, the brain in my head, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that you had that, that benchmark and that motivation to do better. Uh, and I mean, it's, it, 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 well, it paid off somewhat, but, but it paid off. Well, I mean, I went, like what a lot of people may not know about me. Cause I, I don't really talk like the whole rags to riches story very much. It's like, you know, in the military middle-class family, you don't get everything you want, but you get provided for there's security and there's a paycheck. And so like, I always kind of hated that conformist nine to five thing it bothered me. Right. And I knew that a soldier could get paid so much more for the job they do mm-hmm. should get paid so much more for the job they do. I might say. And so growing up watching that when I was 16 years old, I decided to move out to Edmonton, Alberta with my girlfriend and didn't work out out there. And I ended up without a place to live. Ooh across the country, no family nearby. Very kind family took me in, but I dropped out of school during that time period. Like I left high school because I didn't have a place to live and I I had to quit my job, leave school. And I was living off of like 200 bucks a month that I was being sent by my family Wow, without a place to live. And it was kind of tricky for a little while. And then a family took me in and it was wonderful. Hmm. But when I moved back home, like the structure and support was so wonderful. You know, like I, I needed that in my life. And that isn't the first and only time I dropped out of school. I dropped out of business college as well. You know, <laughs> mm. so I've dropped out twice, but I've graduated. Like I have an honors diploma from high school mm. uh, under my belt. And I never did pursue post-secondary. I learned more from the the business owners who are actually making it than I did in business college. Mm. Okay. So you were Kanye, college dropout. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Oh God! <laughs> it, it was it, the stuff just writes itself. It just writes itself, ladies and gentlemen. Just writes itself. I think I'm a god. <laughs> <laughs> and depending on who tunes into this one, they'd be like, "No, that's true. He does think that." Oh gosh! Oh my gosh! All right. So, so you said you moved out to uh, Alberta. You yeah. said that was you said that was for college. And, no, that was that was, or was that just straight literally for love? That was chasing a girl across the country and was a very big, very big mistake. <laughs> so you got the feeling of you know how structure is, and you liked some of it, and you rebelled against some of it. Yeah, uh, you learned a little bit about education and the value of it, and of course, you learned the value of family. Did that come from the family unit or did that come elsewhere or was it a combination thereof? It was a combination thereof because I feel like any anything I've done has has added a drop in the bucket to the knowledge that I've gained. So I've gotten family, you know, from elsewhere. I had a family take me in when they didn't have to while I was out there and I got to see how their family worked. And there were things I absolutely loved about that family that mine lacked. But then there were things about my family that were absolutely crucial to me that that family lacked because of it was, it was the environment I grew up in. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it was just a combination of everything that turned me into the person I was to that point, you know? Mm. Yeah. 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 Just the, yeah. Just the amalgamation of the experiences that you have. Yeah. yeah. I totally get that. Totally get that. 
So uh, you, because I remember seeing a few pictures of you back in the day. <laughs> oh God! I, I, I remember a picture of you in a mohawk, holding what they would call an axe, and no, yes. not 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 the instrument that you would, you would use to chop down trees. No, talking about a guitar. So explain to me how you became an enthusiast. Of in, of being in a rock band, man. Again, moms completely grew up with Bon Jovi. Wow. Okay. My mom's was a huge Bon Jovi fan. Aerosmith. Uh, she loved CCR. She loved a lot of different tunes. My sister was into more uh, hip hop. Like during the '90s, too. Like late '80s, early '90s. Right. My sister kind of found music, and so I grew up listening to things like The Offspring. Rage Against the Machine, but also mm-hmm. like The Temptations and TLC, mm-hmm. Run DMC from her. Mm-hmm. Mom was listening to classic rock and, and some Christian rock and country. Mm-hmm. Stepdad comes in with his headbang and Metallica and ACDC, and, uh, but he also loves classical music. So he was listening to Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, and all that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in a very musical household with a whole bunch of different tastes. And all of us were so widely accepting of each other's tastes. We tease each other a bit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my, my stepdad likes Loverboy and I can't help but laugh about that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, like I can't help but laugh about that. So when I grew up, I grew up equal parts heavy metal enthusiast, punk rock lover, um, hip hop, Motown, like. I love all of it so much. I just, I love music. Mm-hmm. But when the time came to pick up a guitar for myself, uh, heavy metal, we played the heaviest, hardest metal we could find. And it was so much fun to, to be like mohawked, skinny jeans, you know, <laughs> skin tight t-shirt and just being the front. And even though I wasn't the, the front person, mm-hmm. I was the biggest presence on that stage because it was just my favorite place in the world to be. Hmm. So, yeah, no, that's kind of how that happened. I grew up with musical tastes. And then, of course, myself not being satisfied as just the listener, I needed to know how it worked. Right. So I got my first guitar and just took off from there. Hmm. Yeah. Why am I getting Little Wayne meets Slash all of a sudden when you said <laughs> guitar and Yes. Young money on a guitar, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, (laughs) yeah. mm -hmm. But but see, that doesn't surprise me that you talked about your father loving classical and heavy metal. Uh, They are more alike than more people than most people think. I know it's insane, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's extremely insane. My favorite thing to hear, honestly, is heavy metal remakes of classical music. Insane. And it's yeah. so good because it's it is. the same thing, just mm-hmm. a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. And it's just, it, it blows my mind every time I hear it. And see, that explains a lot of the music that I keep hearing you reference. Like, man, how does he know so many different types of music? Like, man, it's almost like me. <laughs> well, like, yeah, wow. I'm just as quick to listen to, um, you know, No Diggity or My Girl or, you know, like just as I am to listen to Master of Puppets or mm-hmm. the Ramones Blitzkrieg Bop. Like, <laughs> it's right. all over the place, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always said to people, uh, a, a, music, a person's musical taste is a, a good window into a person's soul because if it's varied, then 
their lifestyle and their life understanding is also varied. God, yes. And hearing someone having a, a narrower music taste, I, I tend to not want to be around them because I'm thinking, okay, your, your tastes are extremely strong here and very narrow minded here. How does that reflect in your life? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just as likely to, to spit a verse as I am to, to strum one. So that's the best part. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I mean, look, I, and I tell this story uh, a few times. So when I was a teenager, I went into uh, a car with one of my friends, and he played uh, Metallica. Uh, it was uh, one off of the And Just For All album. Oh, yes. That's such a good song. Yeah. So he played that for me. Never heard Metallica before. Saw the shirts all throughout school, but I never heard the band. And so when I heard it, I was like, oh, man, that is some riveting stuff. And I couldn't understand why. And I totally can explain it now, but I couldn't then. I couldn't understand why I loved it so much. And so I said, okay, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then I dug into my, my, uh, my pocket, pulled out the Public Enemies, uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back album. Beautiful. And I said, have you, have you heard this? So I played uh, Don't Believe the Hype for him. And to know that the friend of mine I'm talking about is white. So we were in the car, never knew about the other's music taste, but we got out the car, me loving Metallica for the rest of my life and him loving Public Enemy for the rest of his. Yes. And and the, that's the beauty of music. It's like, wow, you're introducing something new to me that I really love and I can, I can grab onto and pull it for myself and learn the value of it. All I'm going to say, man, is Public Enemy and Anthrax, bring the noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that song moved mountains for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I will, I will always contend that pairing started a genre. Yes. That parent started a genre. Yes. And Tech Nine still rocks that genre to this day because he is a full blown rapper, like one of the filthiest choppers that I could ever have clapped ears on and yet appeals to a primarily white rock and metal fandom. Mm-hmm. It's insane to me. That yeah. man broke barriers and barricades down with just spitting a few verses. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As you could tell, I could talk music all day and night. Same. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. So, when you were in your band, what type of music did you like to play? And I don't mean I don't mean genre. I mean groups or bands. All right, all right. So, my taste in music at that time was very different than anyone could ever clap eyes on because I niched down into metal. And I was listening to bands from Finland, Norway, Sweden, um, places like that, Denmark. Like I was listening to what we call Scandinavian metal or power metal mm-hmm. and symphonic metal, black metal. So yeah. it was a lot of bands like Stradivarius, Sonata Arctica, mm-hmm. Children of Bodom. And they were basically similar to the thrash metal of right. states inspired mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. But... They included symphonies. They included orchestras. They had opera singers. They had musical talent and knowledge and theory because they ended up all going to Finland's jazz pop conservatories and learning everything there was about classical music. 
right. and then translating it over to metal. Hmm. And that's where my mind just fried forever. <laughs> like that was just, I hate to use a Primus reference, but that's where I just frizzle fried the rest of my time. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I simmered in that scene for a long time, man. And I learned so much and and became a very good guitarist. Mm. And because I was listening to them, like I knew how to play classical guitar. I knew how to play really fast power metal. I knew how to play, you know, sweet picking stuff. Like I could do so much just because this one tiny genre incorporated centuries of music and brought it all into one place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and then you mentioned Primus to me. That's the first time I heard a heard a rock rock of any sort, metal, thrash, whatever. First rock group I ever heard that I it, it made me appreciate bass from that genre. Oh yes, Les Claypool from Primus is a brilliant bass player. Yeah, yeah, he, that, that was the first band that made me. Oh man, that bass is nice in the <laughs> scope in the scope of metal. That's awesome. Yeah, first time, I, first band that ever made me say that. How did you have all of this transform to you being behind the mic and speaking? Uh, I blame my first job in radio. I was like 16, I think 15, 16. I got a job in radio and I was a weekend personality reading sports news and weather and current events and stuff like that. And they eventually started noticing that I had an interest in it. And was asking questions about the production end. So they let me like cut up their top forties and the gospel hour and do all that stuff and have fun with it. Right. So mm-hmm. I got a hands on with production for radio when I was a kid, basically mm-hmm. uh, nothing more than a teenager. And I quit that job because as a teenager, I didn't want to wake up every weekend at 5 a.m. and go into a glass room and talk to myself. Mm. And so, but I learned a lot there. And then when I went into music, we recorded all of our own singles, all of our own EPs, our own demo, our own full length album. And wow. I was the production mind behind a lot of it. I was, mm. I was completely the writing mind. And then when it came to the recording, my drummer and I did, you know, took turns and I became a one take hero in the studio. Anything wow. I could turn off in one take. And then I'd sit there behind the switches, making everyone else sound really, really good. And. Fast forward, I, I got sick of working retail, you know, cause I worked retail for a good 10 years after school, not knowing where I wanted to be. And I was getting sick of it. So I decided like, screw this. I'm starting my own business. Mm-hmm. So I started reaching out to schools and asking if I could get on stage to talk. And a few said yes. And it was great. But then I got a message from a business coach in my area. And he said, listen, I know how to get you more speaking gigs. Start a podcast. Okay, I want to see how this works. So, <laughs> all right. So, to understand the the aesthetics of one Mister Scott Doucette, nice looking brother, <laughs> ER not A, uh, has some tattoos to him, and I'm trying to picture how this person who is tatted up and has metal in his background could actually speak in front of schools and school children. I spoke about the dangers of having a reject attitude. Hmm. That is a good one. I spoke, I had a Mohawk, man. I was like a foot tall 
and I still wear in skinny jeans and they still let me on stage. The principals were terrified of me, but the kids loved me. <laughs> the problem was public speaking and school speaking, especially is a very unique niche and that the person you have to appeal to. So the person you're, who's booking you is not the person you're speaking to. So you have to be appealing to usually a more conservative, uptight person right. to speak to the young and liberal. And I think mm. that is such a blockage, I might say. Yeah. But yeah. the open-minded one said, yeah, sure, come in. And I remember one of them said, listen, I'll give you a shot, but I need your entire speech emailed to me now. So mm. I emailed it to him and he mm. read it and it was six pages. He said, okay, you'll come in. When I got on that stage, man, I said, you're, <laughs> I looked at the, the students and I said, your principal wants me to tell you this speech. And I held up mm. six pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. And I crumpled it up in my hands and I threw it behind me and I said, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not here to do that. I'm going to talk to you about how I really feel. And I said it. It was the exact same speech I had on the paper. I just had it <laughs> memorized, dude. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I threw that page behind me, all the kids cheered and the principal's eyebrows raced like you jerk. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that, I had the entire room hooked. Like from that moment, they were mine. And the principal knew he made the right choice. And he said he has never seen 400 kids engaged like that hmm. for an entire hour, you know? So, and I didn't do anything cheesy, no, like reach for your goals. No, none of that. And I just talked <laughs> to him about how being a complete reject has held me back. And I chose to be that reject because I could have been friends with anybody have done anything, but I didn't value myself enough to do it. I embrace the reject in me. That's a very powerful, uh, powerful message. And when I start to learn to say, okay, I don't like being the reject because I don't like how rejection feels. Ah, that's when I started to shed wings and spread wings and grow. Yeah, that's a powerful message, man. But I'll tell you what, man, shedding that reject has lost me a lot of friends in my lifetime. And that's the reason I wanted to get up on this show was the new levels, new devils thing is something I picked up from a gentleman named Tega. He's in one of the Facebook groups I'm in, and he's very introverted and quiet, but he's always learning and growing. Mm-hmm. And new levels, new devils is his catchphrase because every time he grows, he ends up losing people, uh, being pushed up against new challenges, all of that stuff. And it, it's just very, um, it's very eye-opening when you, be- mm-hmm. when you shed the reject to become a better part of yourself. Yeah. What happens within your life because a lot of different things occur. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get to those four words later too. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I want to go back to when you said that uh, you spoke to a man who said, huh, so you want to speak in, in schools? Why don't you put out a podcast? So who was that gentleman? And the name of the podcast seems to have an education ring to it. Yeah. If I yeah, yeah. can, if I, if memory serves it correct. So uh, who was the gentleman and what was the name of your first podcast? He is going to kill me for saying this. I can guarantee, <laughs> I can guarantee it, but enough time has passed. I think that I'm allowed to let this out of the bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Mark Mawinney. He mm-hmm. is coach's coach. Like he could teach people to set up a coaching business in no time flat and I couldn't afford him, man. I literally found him by accident because I typed in motivational speakers in New Brunswick and he came up and he was a real estate god at the time, you mm-hmm. know, and I reached out to him and I said, like, hey, can you teach me how to get public speaking gigs? And he said, I'm sorry, I don't do that, but I'm sitting at my child's soccer game 
right beside a public speaker right now. Mm. He gave me the guy's digits. I sent him an email the next day and he took me on as, as my mentor for like a year in public speaking. But then fast forward, I'm not getting the gigs and I'm not like me and that mentor are kind of starting to outgrow one another because he does things a certain way. And again, always the rebel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark finds me again. They were both named Mark. That's weird. But <laughs> Mark Mawinney finds me again and says, Hey, um, I sold my retail, or I sold my real estate business. I'm done with that. I'm now doing online business. I think I know a plan of attack for your, your online business and, and mm. you're getting out and talking to kids and stuff too. And I said, Okay, I'm all ears. He said, Start a podcast. Mm. And I was like, Wait. Isn't that just a bunch of overweight guys like movies <laughs> and talking about nerd culture? And he said, "There's an element of that." Yes, there is. There's an entire group of podcasters that have a purpose and a business, and their entire purpose for podcasting is to grow their business and market their business. And that is when everything Cole completely mm-hmm. flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute just sitting right there. <laughs> because he basically <laughs> with that one word there's a bunch of people using a broadcast element to subsidize traditional marketing tools for their business was like someone just lit up an entire bag of fireworks in my head because mm. that is the moment everything i knew and knew how to do and knew i wanted to do came together and that man showed up with me despite the fact that I was broke, by the way, because that's one of the things I really want to stress here. I am only just starting to see the fruits of my labor. I've been broke my whole life. so. <laughs> um, but even though I was broke, he showed up with me like religion, man, every Sunday at 7 p.m. and gave me an hour of his time to tell me what I had to do next mm. wow. for a year and a half. Mm. The power of mentorship. Yeah. The power of mentorship. Wow. Yeah. And if he missed a Sunday, he apologized, even though I never gave him a dime and he did not have, he was always very like, and like, I'll never forget that, you know, Mm. even though we're not as close as we were and I've grown up and basically he does things one way I do and things another, we don't always agree on each other's marketing tactics. He thinks I could be doing a lot more. Mm No, um, I'll never forget the kindness he showed me and the fact that he's like, he's the real deal and he's genuine gold in this industry. And it's, it's stayed with me, you know, he said, start a podcast and you started a podcast. I think the name of it was the edge education podcast. And I say what that a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that on purpose that way, because your thought was to put edge. Yeah. Cause I was edgy as hell. Mm-hmm. And so I figured education, like edge hyphen education would be the way to do it until I spent the next year, the next 52 episodes spelling it out for people. Yeah, I I totally get that. I I totally get that. And when I first saw that, I said, interesting, education. Hmm. Okay, well, I got to find out more about this and find out more about who's behind it. So I saw that it was two Canadian guys who was behind it, you being one and this was not a solo podcast, if I'm not mistaken. No, I had a co-host at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so how was that relationship between you and your co-host? 
We went to high school together. And so at the time, it was a very, very good relationship. Uh, he was able to crack jokes at me and, and make fun of my lack of education. And keep in mind, this guy had like three kids and he'd been to college for a bunch of different things. So he had way more education than me and he had a standard traditional job and right. it was paying him decently. And I was still just trying to make the entrepreneurship thing work. And I was literally living like $1,200 chunks at a time and not knowing when the next one was coming in. Yeah. Right? So like at the time, he definitely sat in the power position. And so he'd make fun of me a lot. And I would just take it and laugh and make fun of him back because we were just two different people. But we always got along. We used each other's adversities and, and we used the differences within us as jokes most of the time to create humor for the listener while still interviewing like people who are changing the world without a formal education. Hmm. You know, and it was just, it was a lot of fun at the time, definitely mm-hmm. big time. But I will say that because of the differences between us, me being a workaholic and him being a workaholic, only he had three different jobs. Jeez. He, he couldn't, he couldn't hack it. He couldn't keep showing up without killing himself tired. He'd show up some days and we'd be recording and he was falling asleep on the mic. Like I knew that if I wanted to, to make it big in podcasting, I'd have to make some changes. You know, and one of those changes was to let him go and change direction. Mm. It's so similar to music industry. And we've talked about this when I was on your show, how you can have something that seems so good, but one person is wanting to go in one direction. Another person wants to go in another direction. Another person wants to go in a third direction. And it comes a time where you have to splinter off and Interesting how you splintered off, uh, because when I met you, uh, you were in the throes of doing this show while starting. Uh, I, help me with the name of this group that you started on Facebook. I can't think of the name. Uh, P. Um, hmm. <laughs> the name just escapes me. Yes, it escapes me. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of the name. The PDC, the Podcast right. Discovery Center. Right, right. And that is where cool, I met you. A very cool group, by the way. Yes. Very cool group that this gentleman and another one founded. And uh, it, 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 it's a wonderful resource for any, any podcast that wants to start up and see if they have an interest in doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So you formed this group in Facebook. You were doing the education podcast. And seemingly, at least to me, just from the outside, from the outside, it seemed as though you were starting to see different inroads for you to go down, both in tribal building and in podcasting. It seemed to it seemed to coalesce at the same time. So, if that is true, how did you uh, how how did you reconcile with that and go onward to your path? Or if I'm not right, uh, <laughs> was it that you had one come for the other? You're right, but only in retrospect. Hmm. And isn't that normally the case, right? Yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But it is. When I was building that group, I I struggle with self worth issues. Okay, I really do. Mm-hmm. And so when I was building that group, I saw myself as just a dude who started a Facebook group and with another dude, and we talked about podcasting and we were getting radio play. We had sponsors. Like right. I was learning this industry very quickly because. Keep in mind, before all this happened, like I've been in recording, music, booking, finding sponsorships. Like 
between music and radio, I've been doing this 10 years already. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yep. And so I jumped in and started realizing that a lot of podcasters don't actually know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They want to make a business, but they're, they're artists, not business people. And I noticed that in music <laughs> a lot, right? Oh, yes. But then I saw the radio end of it too, where people were like all business, but no flavor. Right. No fun. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, there's got to be a way to marry the two of these. Mm-hmm. There has to be. And I was mm. getting really frustrated because no one was offering it. Mm. And so I just decided to offer it myself and I started Podcast Bay and I started a very vulgar show where (laughs) I just addressed everything that people weren't going to address in a manner that they weren't going to address it. Mm. And I started telling podcasters that, you know, you have to start taking your stuff seriously. You have to up your game. You have to, you know, otherwise you're going to be a hobbyist and not you're never going to make a dime at this. And everyone starts this stuff and very few people actually want to do it for free. Very Mm -hmm. few people actually have a hobby in mind. They just become defeated and stay there. Wow. And I wanted to stop that rate of defeat. Mm. Yeah. And, and that, and that service that you provide is a very good one because there are many of us, this person included that you're hearing speaking now who I don't want to do this for a hobby. And thankfully <laughs> I'm now no longer am doing this for a hobby or as one. You're making boss moves, man. I'm impressed. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, hey, look, I'm trying to catch up to you. You're making them boss moves yourself. So, <laughs> so not only did you create podcast Bay, the audio medium, but you create, as you mentioned earlier, podcast Bay, the community and yes. I, I get how the service is provided to others. How does the podcast bay audio version and community feed you? Oh, man. Well, in the PDC, I started noticing some things. I started noticing that, one, I was giving a lot of credit to people who weren't doing a lot to earn it. Mm. So I would always tell people like, oh, no, no, I owe my success to this person or I owe how good the group is rolling to this person. Or I, I always had someone else to hand the credit off to mm-hmm. whether they deserved it or not. And I would because that's me. I'm, I'm, I, humble is a bad and word for me now because I have humbled myself out of jobs. I have humbled myself out of uh, great connections. I've humbled myself out of opportunities and in that group, I started noticing that people that I once liked would be friends to my faces and then badmouth me behind my back. People started stealing my ideas. People started disrespecting a lot of the things that I worked toward. And the straw that broke the camel's back was for me like I was starting to figure out that maybe I should branch out on my own and see how much of this is actually me mm. and how much actually is other people. But also I realized that like, I didn't want to keep poisoning myself by being around rejects. Cause one thing I noticed was in high school, <laughs> in high school, I always sat with that crew who like smoked weed in their basement and drank and, and complained about like how cruel the government is and how awful the man is and how we're, we're being kept down systematically oppressed, All you right. know, and. I couldn't take them seriously because I chose to live in those low income environments. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I came from a middle class family. I could have pursued the middle class, but I decided yeah. to, to see what else was out there. So I ended up while starting my business living in quote unquote hoods, man. Like I I've purposely put myself there because low income housing is based off the percentage of your wage around here. And since I wasn't making much, I could still survive, you know? Mm-hmm. So I stayed with a friend in a low income unit and I started noticing that being around those types of people held me back a lot. Yeah. Fast oh. forward. Ooh. You dropped yeah. a nugget right there, my friend. You, If you don't realize, you just dropped a nugget. I have no idea, man. Tell me. Tell me. Mm. Uh, when you said that uh, you are the company you keep, basically. Yeah. 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 You, you really are. And, and there's another, there's another phrase that talks about that saying that you are the five people you hang around with. Yes. yes and if I've heard you, that one. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if you see where they are <laughs> and you think that you're above them, that that means you have to elevate yourself to the next level. And, yeah. and, and, and for you to succeed, that's what you got to do. So yeah, you dropped the nugget on that one. Yeah. And when I, I noticed that when I did that, I lost a lot of friends because I had people saying like, Scott doesn't come around anymore. He's a I don't mm. want to talk to him because he, he doesn't have time for us. He thinks his, you know, his crap don't stink. He, he thinks he's better than wow. us. And, you know, oh, he, he started a business and now he thinks he's Mr. Wonderful. And that's not the case at all. Anybody who knows me knows that like people don't reply to a Facebook comment of mine. And I'm like, everybody hates me. <laughs> that's my immediate thought. Not true at all. But, mm-hmm. you know, it held me back from putting this show out to its full authenticity last season because I was like, if I say what's really on my mind, people are going to hate me because it's happened so many times before. Mm-hmm. But fast forward to this new group situation. I took a year and a half to build a relationship that I really valued. And we were going to start doing advertising together. And we were going to start exchanging. Like we're, we were starting to make business moves. Mm-hmm. And it took me a year and a half to get this man to trust me because he'd been wronged a lot. And someone that I was partnered with went and had a personal thing with, you know, uh, an associated colleague and it messed up my entire deal, man. Mm. messed up my deal. And so I figured like after the abuse, being called a thief, getting half an hour shame videos made about me, uh, not being able to provide the content I want to provide, getting blocked constantly. Um, and then having someone like literally on a business deal that took me so long to build. Wow. I threw my hands up and went, no, enough is enough. I can't be in this group of people anymore. Clearly the respect is not here. Perhaps it's in the next room, the next stage up. Mm-hmm. So I started Podcast Bay, the community, to see, and I put a team of people in place because, again, you you are your five best people. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, out of I think the five of them, three of them are people of color. You know, mm-hmm. which you know, draw that parallel where you will. But it's, I just I found the people who exhibited the character, the strength, the kindness, the loyalty, the the ability to get stuff done, the commitment, the you know, the respect, the the faith and hope and everything that I embody. I just I found the people who had the skills I didn't have, mm-hmm. the character I did. Mm. And once I found those people, and it took me a good two years to find most of them, but mm. once I found those people. You know, I became just an entirely different person. And yeah, sure enough, there's an anti-Scott fan club out there now. You know, Mm. I'm sure they wouldn't want to be called a fan club, but that's technically what they are because they talk about me a lot. 
mm. you know <laughs> and it was it was hard to to deal with that because my people pleasing self the person who wants everyone to like me and be proud of me um every time i grow i, I have to to put that person aside and be like no you're going to be hated for this next step mm-hmm. do it <laughs> yeah yeah well let me say this to you there is a difference between being humble and being humbled. Yeah. You, you want to be humble because you, and you are humble because you don't want to lord things about you, talents about you, uh, events about you or of rewards about you to others. You don't I let want others to, do it for me. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to, right. You don't want to bombard them for it. Uh, uh, there's a quote that, uh, Dwayne DeRoy Johnson said, and I, I love it. And I, I, I hold it. it. I hold. Yeah, I do too. I hold it dear to me. He says, if you want to know how good you are, tell what you're doing to other people. If you want to know how great you are, have other people tell what you're doing to them. Yes. And that's what I've decided to do. I noticed very early that me plugging my stuff wasn't helping. Mm-hmm. So I just stopped and let everyone else do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, and it works wonders. Yeah. And that is being humble because, you know, you're, 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 you're letting the stuff that you're doing speak for itself and the people and your advocates speak for, speak on your behalf. And you, and you don't have to lift much of a muscle to be that fan support for yourself. Whereas being humbled. Means like you said earlier, how with podcasters and, and I experienced a little bit of it myself, how it can beat you down because you have this idea of what you want to do, yet you're not seeing the fruit of it. You're seeing yourself being like on that hamster wheel. You're, you're running and you're running and you're running, but you're seeing the wheel, you wheel spin and spin and spin, but you're going nowhere. The problem I have, I don't mind people being on that hamster wheel. I found my way off of it. Right. And I want more people to find their way off of it. Mm-hmm. But the people who will never find their way off of it are the ones who hate me for finding the way. Yeah. And that's what's been happening is the people mm-hmm. who are, you know, eight, 10, 12, even, even some of them six, five years doing this haven't had their come up yet. Yeah. And they don't realize it's because they're literally rejecting their come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny that you're saying all this and, even even funny or that you mentioned the words earlier, you mentioned the concept earlier, new level, new devils. Yeah. And I've heard this in spiritual circles, but I apply it to all walks of life because no matter where you ascend, you're going to have people nip at you and pull you back down. In fact, Michael Max had this this quote about crabs in a barrel. He said, now, have you ever seen crabs in a barrel? You see one crab trying to climb his way out the barrel, but the others are nipping at the heels of, of, of the crab, trying to pull one of its arms back down to where they are. Yeah. And you don't want to be in a situation where you're around a community that is trying to drag you down to a level you're trying to get out of. Yeah. Yeah, man. And to, to bring things to the music situation, chaos straight out of Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Crab bucket. Mm-hmm. No time to get down because I'm moving up. Yeah. And people don't like that part. They don't like the fact that I don't have time to get down anymore. Mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. When, when someone calls you and says they're your friend, 
and asks you all kinds of questions about podcasting and you, you spend months and some, in one case, even years teaching that person so much only to have them call you names behind your back and treat you like you are somehow full of yourself when you opened your soul and gave them everything. Mm. Want something to turn you bitter in a hurry against all the other crabs. That would be it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 it naturally is going to make you bitter because, and I, we've had this conversation off air where you, you, you ride with this person, you create this thing, you create this entity with somebody, or you create these entities with, uh, with somebody or somebody's and you discover Man, you mean to tell me the ideals that I thought we had together are no longer this case when we go down the road and we travel down the road and I discovered that secretly you think one way, but you know in, in, in plain sight, I think another and I'm going toward that, that direction and I thought you were heading along with me in that same direction. It hurts. It stings. It feels horrible. It does. It does. Especially since there's that, that person in me who doesn't want to hurt anybody ever. Right. And- to know that just by doing well, I'm hurting people. That's weird. And, and it does sit really wrong with me. And that's my new devil lately mm-hmm. is that I need to figure out that my success will bother people. Yeah. Just yeah. for no other reason than the fact that I have it and they don't. And that's really mm-hmm. hard to, to handle for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had to deal with that from the, from the understanding of I want to send to the next level with certain things. And I remember listening to uh, Michael Smith of uh, ESPN Sports Center Six fame, and he talked about numbers never lie. One of one of the predecessors of the show that he does now, and he said to a producer after he recorded one of the one of the shows, he said, "Well, how was that?" He said, eh, "It was okay." He said, "It was okay." It's like, yeah, it, there wasn't anything that really moved me either way. He said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well." The producer said, well, you should create a show where you have people who love you and you have people who hate you, but watch you at the same time. Yes. Because, because when that happens, that is when you will have the optimal level of success. Yes. And getting my first hater bugged me. But now I love that guy. Mm. And, you, <laughs> and, and, and Yeah. And, you know, when I when I was when I was at that same age you are now, it, it would bug me, too. It yeah. would it would severely bug me, but man, now I'm I'm so liberated. It is to the point where it's like I'm looking for him because I want to shake the hand and congratulate him. Man, thank you, and 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 did one time. <laughs> so, thank you, I appreciate it because I turned it around on him. So you know the hate that you're showing, that's love too. Oh, that's why I call them my fan club. But they, I yeah. know they wouldn't appreciate it. Yeah. Because, because whether you love something or hate something, people don't want to really grab onto this. You still are caring about something deep enough to invest an emotion in them. Man, all I'm going to say is Hoodie Allen's song, Nolan Ryan. As long as they're talking about me and not talking about you, let's let the talking resume. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, you know, when, when I hear someone ascending to a new level, it surprises me not to hear that you're having brushback. Yeah. If, in fact, I would expect it. And if you were to say, you know what, man, creating podcast Bay and actually not only creating podcast Bay, but tinkering it and tweaking it, the show, I mean, tinkering it and tweaking it and, and making the show even better than it was the first year. You know, 
it's great. I'm experiencing a whole ton of love. I would probably look at you restrained to say, okay, well, no detractors. Yeah. yeah. No, there is a lot of love in there, man. And I don't want to focus mm-hmm. on the negative completely. There's a no, lot no, no. In there. No, no. And it's, it's like the engagement rates, like 300%. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a room I can take my wife into and, and have her sit down and, and just talk her piece and the people in there actually love her and show her support, you mm-hmm. know, which I would have never done in the last place. When you really ascend to that new level, two things you discover about yourself. One, you're loving more of who you are when you ascend to that next level yeah. and you're becoming more outward with who you are and you're proud of who you are and you're taking all the lessons that you learned that you didn't like about yourself and some of the things that you did, you're combining them together and it's making you a better you. While at the same time, you're learning that, yeah, being this new you is going to make people hate you because in five years time, you're going to look around and the friends that you have now will not be the friends you'll have in 2022. Just like you can look back from now to 2012 and the same friends you had then, most of them are gone now. Yeah. And that's, and that's just how life is. Now you will have, you'll have some that'll, they'll stick with you that you have your ride or die friends. No question. I do too. But, you, but as, as your level changes, your friends will change. It just happens that way. But the beauty of that is you learn how many more people love you for you. Yeah, it's true. And to be honest with you, man, like I didn't even notice this was happening until it took getting on a show for me to, to see exactly what was happening, to see the devil that I was confronting in, in my day to day now. And like, I saw people, like I saw myself losing friends. I lost like 10 friends in one gulp uh, mm. this year, just because I decided to start monetizing my knowledge uh, and, and sending out mailing uh, like a, a subscription box full mm-hmm. of like goodies and, and all kinds of like podcasting know-how sending it to people's door. I had 10 guys who all of a sudden weren't part of the let's get milk Scott for everything he's worth and not pay for it club. Mm-hmm. They decided to hate on me and I was like, crap, okay, you're just jealous and or don't want to pay and or are mad that you're not sitting at the big boys table now. You know, there's a stage above you and you're not willing to invest. That's fine. But it became more painful for me when I got on a show, an indie podcaster show. And I love going on small shows. Like I will never, ever get too big for my britches. Right. Um, the, the more people who want me on as a guest, the happier I am to do it because it, it just means that people resonate with what I'm saying, right? Of course. But I got on this show and this host kept saying, not to make a dig at you, but not everyone can afford mm. what you can afford. Not to make a dig at you, but not everyone, not all of us are lucky enough to have what you have. Some of us weren't born with that or some of us don't, you know, not meaning, meaning to make a dig at you, but, oh, and all of it was about my station and money and all of that. And this guy didn't even realize that like my business only picked up last year this time. I signed my first client last year on the 27th of November. Now, and to have that person, you know, so like before that I was broke living low income, right? Right. So to have that person one calendar year later, treat me like I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth without knowing where I came from. And the fact that like I grew up, you know, not as privileged as a lot of people, but in my adulthood, I was like zero privilege. Mm -hmm. Like I have friends who, who, who laugh and, you know, like I have white friends, I have Hispanic friends, I have black friends and my black friends tell me that I grew up more black than I think. (laughs) And I laugh. I think that's a compliment, honestly. But then I have these, these entitled white kids sitting there telling me, 
I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And I'm like, you don't know how lucky you were born, you know, and you don't know who I am. And I refuse to let you treat me like I'm some sort of entitled, rich, spoiled white kid. So when he hung up, like when he stopped the recording, I let him have it, Mm. (laughs) which, and that to me, maybe I was wrong to do so, but I just, I I didn't know how to handle being treated in a way that I'm not. Mm because of who i've become you know yeah well here, here's a the new devil for me <laughs> yeah but here, here's the beautiful thing about all of that you're discovering that you don't deserve to be treated any old kind of way yeah that that the name the brand the person and the creative entities of scott Doucette deserves to be respected and if he or those brands are not respected. You will hear about it until either you respect it or until you are off the scene. Yeah. And off the scene is the way I go first, because <laughs> I'm not about convincing people to like me. <laughs> right. Right. And, and exactly. And it doesn't even it, it doesn't even require you to lift the finger to, to for them to be off the scene. No. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking at one of the sermons of Pastor T.D. Jakes, and he said, Whenever you encounter a new devil, when you get to a new level, congratulate yourself because you have advanced to another level of life. And that is what God wants you to do. He wants you to advance new levels in life and, sh- and, and have you demonstrate that you can slay the devil, that he can talk the talk of you don't deserve this. You suck. You are an individual that that. In, in your case, don't have a college degree. Uh, you don't have this huge business acumen. You still was going to throw man. all of, right. You sold out. You, you know, you're a scam artist. You're going to have the devil throw all this at you. But the beautiful part about it is you get to the point where you say, <laughs> you can just shut the heck up, devil, because yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. And that's a hard thing for me to learn, man, is that the devil's in the day to day. I didn't realize. I thought you'd eventually rise out and like a phoenix, Mm -hmm. come out of the ashes and just be above all that crap. Yeah. But there is no getting above all that crap. It's just that the higher up the ladder you climb, the devil calls you a friend instead and, you know, to your face or he just disguises himself better. He wants you to do well, but not better than him. Or he, you know, he, he manifests himself in different people like that, the unsupportive spouse who doesn't want you to get what you deserve or, mm-hmm. you know, the friend who steals your ideas or the guy who doesn't, he's mad because you're not around anymore. Like that is all the devil at work. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a scripture that says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Now, it didn't say that no weapons will be formed. <laughs> True enough. It's that you have to have to understand that when you do ascend to these levels, there are going to be weapons that'll be formed against you. But you got to understand, they're not designed to hurt you; they're designed to hold you down. Right, and that and and that's a victory right there to know what those weapons are meant to do, and then to ascend past that when it's like, okay, and this is meant to hold me down. Well, <laughs> you're not going to hold me down. You can't. You don't have any room, devil. When you get to that level and that stage. That is when the true prosperity happens. And the fact that you have stepped on toes and seeing something that most others haven't, and you are actually going after what you want and desire. The brushback will be real, 
but the admiration will be even more real. And that is what makes you, my friend, one of the biggest power players and power brokers in the podcasting sphere right there. I love it. And to be honest with you, it was a time, it was about this time last year that I watched, um, I'm going to call it one of the turning points where I went from like, I'm going to be broke forever to, you know what, screw this, I'm going to get mine. I was watching uh, Steve Harvey Mm. being on Faith Road. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the Lord wants to send you all these boxes, but if you don't have faith and you don't have (laughs) hope and you don't have confidence and belief that you're going to get it, you won't get it. Mm-mm. And I noticed that one thing he didn't mention was all of the cars you'd have to avoid because they want to run you off that road. They want mm-hmm. to make you believe you're not good enough. They want you to make you believe you're, you should be where they are because rather than rise up, they want to stay where they're at yeah. because it's easier. Mm-hmm. And if I listen to those people, I'm not going to get what's coming to me anymore. I'm actually just going to get what's coming to them, which is nothing. Yeah. You know, and so like once I heard that speech about just having faith, having belief, working hard, you know, keeping optimistic, things started to shift for me. And of course, my wife was a big player in that too. You are Mm -hmm. surrounded by supportive people. You get things done. And she was very supportive to the point where like she yelled at me when I told her I was going to go get a job. Mm. She's like, no, you have a business to focus on. You're not, you, she literally told me I wasn't allowed. (laughs) <laughs> which I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't take that from very many people, but when right. I saw what she was fighting against, she wasn't fighting against security. She wasn't saying like, no, we need security. You need to stop your business and go get work. Mm-hmm. She was saying, we're fine right now. Build your business. If it doesn't work, go get a job, but build your business. And sure enough, man, I, f- I doubled down and focused for a full calendar year. And I don't think I'll ever need to apply for a job with a resume anymore. Mm, I think I, right now I'm applying for jobs with my name alone and getting mm, them. Mm. That's the weirdest thing. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing when you get to that, that stage. Yeah. And it's, and it's also beautiful that you, you're getting to that stage with a, with a person who you, who is your best friend, who is your support system, your biggest support system on earth yeah. where you, where you actually can see a walking, living, breathing example of the fact that, this woman is your, that is your wife. She literally is a crown on your head. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, with, there's no, it was weird to get in a situation where, cause like I, just like my friends, I was with, with women growing up who held me down. They wanted my, all of my attention, all of my time, all of my money, all of this, all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I felt the immediate shift when I got with a lady of quality who could take care of herself and, and literally only wanted me around, didn't need me around. Mm-hmm. And didn't want, didn't have any desire to control my assets, my life, my money, my, my business deals. Like she literally just lets me go 12 hours a day and comes 7 PM. She's like, okay, I want you now. Hmm. So from like seven to seven, I am all my own man. I don't have to, to answer to a thing. Hmm. But then comes 7 PM, I'm a wife fearing husband. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> Asian cultures, wife fearing is a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Smart man. Yeah. And I've heard that it actually makes a man live longer. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as they respect the, the, the reason why they fear her. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, and I will say this on air, man, uh, the influence that your wife has on you shows it is the best thing that has happened to you. And, yeah. and I, I can say that in all honesty. And I say that with all pride too, because I remember when you weren't married mm-hmm. and 
good guy all the way around, period. But lost. Yeah. So damn lost. See, and you, you, you took the word out of my mouth. You, you were still trying to search for yourself. You were still trying to find who you were. And, and you found a lot of yourself. I'm not going to say you found all of yourself in your wife, but you found a lot of yourself with the presence of your wife. I am an anchor. I live my life with two feet for, firmly planted on the ground, doing what mm-hmm. needs to be done. Mm-hmm. My wife is a, is a balloon, a healing. Mm-hmm. She flies all over the world in her head. She is head in the clouds. She wants to do what's fun and mm-hmm. what's enjoyable at any given moment. Right. And so she taught me that you don't have to be responsible and structured and, and hardcore and, and rigid all the time. No. You can actually have a lot of fun too. Right. Mm-hmm. And when someone steps to me and disrespects me, she's the first to tell me to tell them to go to like she mm-hmm. literally has told me to quit Facebook groups and to dismiss certain people months before conflict ever arose. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen and conflict arose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, wives have a good way of, of, of knowing your, uh, knowing their husband so well that they can f- <laughs> they can foreshadow certain things happening. Yeah. And, and we as husbands are, you know, we can stupidly go, uh, well, that's not happening yet. I'm going to need to find that out for myself. Thanks. And, yeah. And then you find it out for yourself. Exactly. <laughs> and then it's painful. And then we cry and then turn to them to support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and you hear, and you hear these words. Oh, baby, I'm so sorry that that hurt you. I told you so, but oh, I'm still so sorry that happened. I too. never hear the I told you so out loud. <laughs> No, but I always I know, know it's there. That, <laughs> exactly. that inference is always there. It's mm-hmm. like, I get the, why didn't you listen to me? Right. Why did it take someone else telling you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. I love it's, it, man. I, I do, too. I do, too. Oh, man. Look, I, I can continue onward, and we will have you on back on this show. There's no question about this, because this is the first of many. <laughs> first of many times you're going to be on revelations uh but before i do let you go i have these questions to ask you so we have talked about life in all of its expansive ways what has been either the biggest lesson learned or the biggest regret you've ever had in your life oh wow i'll give you both okay my biggest lesson learned to this day in my life is new levels new devils hmm. absolutely and all that entails in family, in your career, in your relationship, in the church, and the community. The more you aspire to be and do, the more you will have people resist you and even resent you for it. Mm. You'll be able to move beyond that. And my biggest regret in life was not learning this 10 years sooner. Wow. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how you can look at life and when you you get the maturity of wow you mean to tell me it all only took this to get to here and i wasted all this time struggling to understand that 10 15 20 years ago like wow why didn't i think of this (laughs) now i'm only only 29 and i'm having this profound epiphany and being like i wish i knew this at 19 Mm -hmm. you know so like just if I could tell my younger self anything, it'd be like, you are not a serf, my friend. No. Like, you, you, you deserve to sit on that throne. 
No, and you, you should. But the only difference is you don't take someone else's throne. You build your own damn throne and you sit on that. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You, Even if you're king, nothing. At least you'll be king. Hmm. <laughs> Another Metallica song. Uh, <laughs> where's your crown king? Nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree, man. Yeah. Yeah. Give every other king that you see their props as you build the throne of your own. Yeah. yeah no question about that. Flipping the coin. So what has been your biggest accomplishment ever in life? I have finally found my family. Mm. Now, let me frame that. Okay. There is a saying called blood is thicker than water, but that is not the full saying. I don't know what the full saying actually is right now, but there's a lot of cliche sayings that we say, like a jack of all trades, a master of none, right. is actually taken as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. When the actual saying is a jack of all trades, a master of none is better than a master of one. Well, blood's thicker than water has a second part. And basically what it means is that like, we can't survive on blood alone. We need the water too. Mm. And so what I ended up finding was that my blood relatives, my blood family, they don't understand an entrepreneur. There's not a business bone anywhere in any of their bodies, and that's fine. And again, that's a group of people who have learned to resent me for my success. And that was a hard pill to swallow too. You know, when it's your family and they're the ones holding themselves down, but can't tell. Yeah. They don't like you because you don't have time for excuses anymore. Very difficult, right? Yeah, it is. And so I had to break out and I was left with a very family sized hole in my heart. And like you said, I know the value of family. Mm-hmm. So I had to create one. And I found five people, my editor, a producer, a military veteran, a network um, founder and my wife. You know, I've got my, my family unit, my sister, my stepfather, my little brother, and, and, you know, my moms, and they're, they're always going to be there, but I needed family who understood me as a, as a spirit, mm-hmm. not just understood me as, as a sibling or a son. Right. You know, I needed someone who understood the, the entrepreneurial architectural side of me. So my biggest accomplishment was that I finally found that family. I finally found my home and the people I hang out with. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's, that's very profound. And they are my shield and sword from all of the hate and negativity. They're the people who remind me that I am a good person and that they'll protect my honor and defend me and help me grow and be my wings and, you know, be my, my paradigm when I need a shift. They're, they're everything to me. It's, it's been a phenomenal ride because of them. And the fact that I finally got to bring them all from being individuals to one place mm-hmm. really just changed my world. Yeah. This reminds me of a scripture and it's, it's so profound because when you were talking, this is what it made me think a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for times of adversity. Of course I'll slide sister in there too, because it is not, <laughs> it's not gender specific and it's beautiful when you can find familial ties in those who aren't blood relation with you. And when you do find that it is one of those rare treasures. I mean, it almost is as good 
as if you stumbled upon a million dollars. Not saying that uh, <laughs> some of the bum million dollars is bad, but <laughs> I don't think I'd want the, to. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same with that, too. But the riches that you get with someone who isn't tied to you because of name or isn't tied to you because of uh, marriage or isn't tied to you because of other circumstances in life that that isn't this is who I love and this is who I want to surround myself with because this is this is the crew who knows me best and knows me the most and knows me to the point where they can call me all my stuff and they can love me even knowing that I am not the most polished person or I do everything right or I am I am not at this at this high level of life or high station in life or they teach powerful you thing. for your autocorrect putting an h in lil john <laughs> <laughs> inside joke oh my gosh yes uh, yeah one of the funniest things i've ever seen it's a beautiful thing, man, when, when you get that type of camaraderie and it's natural and it flows. Oh, it's a powerful thing. And it took two years to find the right people, like literally putting people through, like making them jump through stupid hoops without me or them knowing they were doing it, having them arrive at my, in my inbox in times of need, having them stick through me, you know, stick with me through all the hate. And, and defend my honor. People who, you know, showing me how mature they were and loyal they were and honest they were in different situations. And mm-hmm. Loyalty and honesty are the two biggest things for me, the two biggest qualities a person can show me. Yeah. And to, to spend two years ironing out perfect friendships was well worth just, it, it showed me a whole different level of friendship than when you just meet a person and go, I like you. Let's be friends. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. It's much deeper. It's much deeper and you appreciate it more because it's much deeper and it withstands more. No. Yeah. It withstands a whole lot. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Well, this is the time normally (laughs) I allow my guest to speak on anything that is in their heart. So if you have a parting shot to give to somebody or if you have words of wisdom, like you haven't passed any along, as of before now, the mic is yours. The floor is yours. Have at it. There are hundreds of things I could say right now. There are things that I could say about focusing down on one thing, not building too many things out at once. There are things I could say about treating your friends with respect and letting them know that, you know, you love them and things like that. But I think the biggest thing I would say is never dwarf your ambitions for anybody, anybody at all. If you want to drive that Mercedes Benz and live in a hotel penthouse your whole life, you do it. If you want to give away everything you owed and feed the hungry and the homeless, you do it. If you want to live, you know, between 60 and 100K and have that perfect family, the white picket fence, the all that, you do it. If you want to get married, do it. If you want to live and, and, date all kinds of different women or men and, and live life like, you know, in a certain way you do it. Don't let anyone around you tell you, you can't, but do it in a way that at the end of the day, if it all comes tumbling down, the only person that gets hurt is yourself. Mm. Because 
at the end of the day, you're the only person really at risk here by living to other people's standards and expectations and all that. You lose yourself in it. So be true to yourself. Map out the life you actually want and then take the steps to get there. Stop sitting around talking about it. Make sure your teeth match your ambitions. Be the beast. Wow. Mm. What else is there to say? <laughs> podcast producer, consultant, coach, host of Podcast Bay, host of the podcast, oh, she's a founder of the Podcast Bay community, all around good guy, Uber Bruins fan. Notice, <laughs> I, notice I didn't mention the, the team he hates. I warn you. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the best friends I've ever had, Mr. Scott Doucette. Scott, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. Family, education, friendship, all of those things are hallmarks to a rich life. Now, we can spend time talking about money and trinkets and gifts, but one of the biggest pieces of prosperity is knowing who you are and surrounding yourself with people who accentuate the best of who you are. The Bible says, do not overcome hate with hate, but overcome hate with love. There's going to be times where you are encountering hate and there's going to be times you encounter resistance, but the love that you have within you bursts through and shatters all hatred and resistance. You keep having that type of power and you recognize it and you use it. The world is yours. I want to thank my guest, Scott Doucette. As I said, brilliant podcast mind and one of the closest friends I've had in the game. And you can catch him on Podcast Bay in the Facebook room and on podcastbay.net. Look for bigger things from this gentleman because he's only scratching the surface. For changing the world one conversation at a time. I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O, and milehighradio.com, spelled M-I-L-E-H-I-R-A-D-I-O. Every Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific.